0: Hello, welcome back to the New History Podcast. Uh, It's me, Alex, and Lily, as always. Morning. And we are on episode number four, and today we're talking to another guest, as usual. We've got Elton. Hello. (laughs) Hello, Elton. Um, So yeah, we're gonna kind of see what we talk about today. Elton is working on a few things that should be interesting. so if you'd like to over to you what what do you do what's your thing
1: hello Alex hello Lily well I'm I'm Elton and well uh, I'm from Brazil and actually I am a historian here in in Brazil and uh, between 2013 2014 I I did my postdoc research in the University of Winchester, mm. and let's say that I am a kind of a uh, really nerd guy about Beowulf. So uh, I think all my <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all my all my research, uh, something in some way or in some moment, just crossed the Beowulf uh, poem. Good. So. Yes, I think it has to be. Yeah, and here in Brazil, I teach. I, I'm I'm a lecturer in a, a private uh, institution here in, in Brazil, and uh, I'm planning on 2021 to start a second postdoc about the wolf. <laughs> of course, can't, can't get it
2: enough. Yeah, I mean that's that's essentially how Elton and I met because when when he was here in Winchester, I was just finishing my masters, I think, um, and it had to do with the Vikings and Beowulf was of course involved, so of course we yes. crossed paths because <laughs> Beowulf, um, and that's essentially it. I think I think that's yeah, usually how people refer to it. Oh, y- you got anything to do with Anglo-Saxons or Beowulf? well, Beowulf is Elton's thing, so just go speak with Elton, um, and that's sort of how how it went. Um, I mean, it's not just Beowulf that you look at is This general sort of Anglo-Saxon period um, King Alfred and mm-hmm. sort of, I guess, heroic poetry in general. Can we can we say that? Yes. Yes. To some extent. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. but yeah, I mean, it's it's it, Elton is generally the, the Beowulf guy um, for, for those who <laughs> no. know. Um, but you're actually doing something really interesting over there in Brazil as well. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about the um the project that you're running right now and that you are co-founder of
1: mm-hmm. yes i well I, I i think to 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 start with uh it's it's interesting to to, to say that in brazil i think uh, something like from the beginning of to the 2000 uh we start in brazil to research about anglo-saxon england and uh by talking about my own experience, it's quite amazing for people in UK, for example, to say what? Why is some some guy from where in Brazil? Are you interested in Anglo-Saxon stuff and <laughs> and wherever? And it's quite interesting because I have a friend, uh, Santiago. She's from uh, Argentina, and and his expertise is Vikings. She, uh, he studies Vikings. Yeah. In, and uh, we have like kind two. of yeah we we have kind of of the same uh, experience because he he said to me the same thing like uh, well, he did his master's degrees in uh, Iceland, and in Iceland it was the same like what why is some guy from Argentina are interested in Vikings and, and coming here to Iceland? And in general we answer we answer like something like this. Okay, so is okay from some people from I don't know, like Germany or UK, to come to Brazil or so or Latin America to study Latin America, but it's not okay <laughs> for some people from Latin America to study Europe. So it's quite interesting. Reverse <laughs> <The laughs> yeah, like,
2: colonialism. How dare you? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it's like something like this. So, well. So, here in Brazil, uh, a couple of years, uh, well, actually, from since 2000, uh, we have this group of people studying Anglo-Saxon stuff. I am uh, actually the, one of the first ones. And uh, uh, nowadays, we have a group. We just uh, started a group. It's called Insula. Uh, it's a group of uh, uh, Brazilian researchers about, uh, actually not just England but uh, Britain, mm-hmm. Ireland, uh, so the, all the islands of the of the north of Europe, okay. and, and it's quite interesting because we we are quite new, but we are we started with, uh, I think now we are about uh, fifty one people, uh, now. Oh, wow, that's
2: pretty big. Like, network.
1: Yeah, yes, yeah, it's quite impressive because and obviously we are, we have PhD students, masters, degree students, undergrads, and of course PhD like uh, mm-hmm. uh, teachers actually. And talking about the people of our Anglo-Saxon stuff, we are I think we are now something like five or seven people. Well, we we can. Mm-hmm. We can fill uh, a, a small bus.
0: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> and and well, well, what I'm doing here in, in Brazil right now? Uh, well, I since I came back from Winchester, from my postdoc, uh, I start. I continued well to teach, and about Anglo-Saxon stuff. I start. I continue to to research about well King Alfred. And etc. Yeah. And but now I'm preparing a, a project of a postdoc uh, here in São Paulo. and uh, drink my post, I pre- uh, I intend to to do this postdoc in the University of São Paulo. Is that the biggest university here in mm-hmm. in Brazil? And well, the theme of my research is going to be a. Uh, an analysis of Beowulf, the poem, the Be- uh, Beowulf poem, and the Judith poem. That's on, on the same manuscript. Uh, manuscript mm. of Beowulf. And the point I'm uh, I, I want to 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 research is is to see Beowulf not as a kind of uh, Nordic stuff. I, I mean. In general, people work with Beowulf, saying, "Oh, yeah, okay." Beowulf, <clears throat> uh, the poem, works with uh, uh, the uh, the ancient Scandinavia because all the Danes and uh, and the Swedes and etc. And I'm trying to 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 create a hypothesis that actually, Beowulf, okay, it's something that. Uh, it's a tradition that came to 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 England in the Middle Ages, and I think we can go back to to uh, migration times. that the Beowulf we know, I'm I'm arguing, it's actually a production of the Ulfraiden court, of a sort really? of kind of uh, propaganda, or actually a sort of uh, uh, a mirror of princes, like uh, a poem that brings some uh, role models for the Alfredian aristocracy, oh. and actually a kind of uh, panegyric, like uh, 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 Beowulf and Judith, like poems that actually exalt the uh, the Wessex dynasty. Like I compare with the genealogy of the beginning of Beowulf of Shield Sheffen and etc. with the genealogy we find we can find on the genealogy of the Anglo Saxon Chronicle of Edewulf, the father of of King Alfred. It's the same. yes, we can find the Shield Chef, etc. And Judith la uh, uh, something like the same but exalting specifically Ethofled. The daughter of King Alfred, mm. because we have the uh, the annals of Ethelfled in Anglo-Saxon chronicles. So, the way Ethelfled is uh, is represented in Anglo-Saxon chronicle is quite similar of Judith on on the poem Judith. So, uh, taking Beowulf and Judith, I'm trying to research this kind of stuff like. Beowulf and Judith—they are not just entertainment for the Anglo Saxons of the freedom Court. Actually, they are something like more. They are something like, uh, let's say, uh, let's say, uh, kind of propaganda hmm. of the Euphridian Dynasty for their because the 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 Anglo Saxon England—they are—they uh, starts into create is a mix of Danes and Anglo Saxons. So makes sense. Do we have uh, poems that exalt this dynasty to kind of everyone recognize that? Oh, okay, I'm Dane, but I I can recognize my my let's say cultural heritage <laughs> in yeah. uh, in Beowulf. Yeah. the same way that we uh, the Anglo-Saxon will do the same. It's something like this. I I, I I'm I'm finishing the the project, but it's, in general, it's something like this.
0: Okay, so. <laughs> Like just to uh, be clear, I'm you know, I'm not super mm-hmm. familiar with Beowulf and things. Um I know Lily's fairly familiar, she spent a bit of time studying it a as bit. well. And obviously <laughs> you've spent quite a while on it. Um so c- can we sort of track where like Beowulf sort of originates from as as a as a story? Because oh, mostly okay. what I have, heard is... box. oh, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I get a feeling some of my questions here might open a few boxes. Um I, I always sort of, you know, got the feeling that Beowulf was very much a, a Anglo-Saxon uh, story. At least that's mm-hmm. that's the perspective I've heard most of the time. But seeing as the story itself takes place uh, in Scandinavia, um, mm-hmm. obviously pre-Viking sort of migration period, it's it's saying, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. It would make sense for it to be obviously from other places. So what you're saying is.
1: Uh, I'll I, I say that, yeah, uh, as Lily said, uh, it's a Pandora box, right? right? Because, <laughs> <laughs> because we are. Uh, <laughs> le, le, let's, uh, let's say, uh, since the 19th century, uh, the academic uh, environment always saying that, oh, yeah, the wolf is uh, an Anglo Saxon poem, but mm-hmm. there is this uh, always trying to connect with this uh, old Scandinavia. Oh, no, because. All the okay. scenario, the stories. Oh, it's always a, is a kind of a, uh, 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 folk, folk. Let, let's say a folk tale or, or a kind of mm-hmm. poem, a tradition that goes back to Scandinavia, and then in some moment between the fifth and the eighth century, it uh, arrived in uh, in England, and then. It started to do uh, to do to, to, to became a kind of Anglo-Saxon stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, the question: Well, uh, who is the original Beowulf, or, or, or from where it came from? The I think the fair answer is we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Usually, think, is the answer. I think. <laughs> I think it, well, it's, yeah it's
2: Such a and thing is and i mean elton can tell you a lot more about this but the the general area of beowulf studies is very aggro about many (laughs) things and this is definitely one of them and there you know this has been this is such an old argument and discussion you know it's been going on for time immemorial and Mm -hmm. it, it depends who you speak with it depends what their take on it is, it depends what their area, um, area of specialty is, because the people that approach Beowulf studies and Beowulf the poem as a poem from a literary background have sometimes a very different take from mm. historians mm. looking at it as an you know archive or sort of record of many different things. And it I mean if we get into the sociological part of it, you know, that's a completely different story. <laughs> it just goes it just goes all over the place. And it's it's just bonkers and, and it just usually ends up in arguments and people just at each other's throats.
0: So I suppose that'll happen where disciplines cross over. <laughs> yeah, <Yes. laughs> but with Beowulf
2: studies particularly, and if, I think it's because, particularly in the UK at least, Beowulf is such a precious thing, you know? Right. Like when you're studying, <laughs> most people who have studied in the UK surely will relate to this, you know? You cannot go through English literature without having read Beowulf and Shakespeare Um, simple as that, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then Dickens, because otherwise that's it. Um, And it's it's such a quintessential piece of literature that has been taken as purely, not even British, but English, and therefore Mm -hmm. it's so subject to nationalisms, to political agendas, which is the reason why obviously what Elton is suggesting is so revolutionary, because it's taking the propaganda on a different level, Um, Mm -hmm. and it's it is, it is literally a, a minefield. Um, I really like something that came out recently, and a lot of people haven't really been paying attention to it because, you know, for them, that's sort of below them. But, um, you know, Christopher Tolkien, not that long ago, I think it was 2015, released um, a new version yes. of Beowulf, um, which is, you know, a, a translation of Beowulf with some comments and annotations. And then the lay of Beowulf that his father, J.R. Tolkien, wrote. And... It's actually really insightful looking at that to understand sort of how a story like Beowulf may have happened, because what Tolkien tries to do is sort of think, okay, what is Beowulf about sort of, you know, at a core? What sort Mm -hmm. of key themes and, and characters appear? And what, you know, what may have that been in real life? Because obviously we know that the manuscript that we have is just one of the many recollections of the tale. This has been going on for a long time. So how could it have appeared, you know, in its earlier stages? And he sort of narrows it down to, we have strong man who is called B-Wolf because B-big and wolfy-like, because strong. (laughs) And some (laughs) form of witch in the forest is causing problems and they end up tangled up in this sort of, um, you know, uh, battle, which, which is the quintessential migration period tale of, man must conquer nature to live outside of nature and settle and therefore, um, you know, create that new status that a lot of the migration period tribes Mm. did. But it's also that sort of fight of, patriarchy is pushing away the original or supposed original matriarchal society and, and all of that so there is there is many many things that he takes into consideration and obviously so i guess there would have people, been a
0: lot of um like variations on that same theme even with well, beowulf itself it being like a oral tradition and
2: Indeed, yes. but I don't know. Yes. I don't know where I read this, and I'm sure Elton can probably uh, remind me of it. I, I I read something, and it seemed a bit cuckoo at the time. I can't even remember what it was or when <laughs> it was. But there is people <laughs> suggesting that this idea of Beowulf could in fact go as far back as sort of proto in sort of um proto in European oh. Greek mythology of some kind. That then obviously yeah. with an earlier migration movement kept pushing into the area of the Rhine and then Scandinavia and and the British Isles. But I can't quite remember exactly how that linked together because I think there are some tales farther east, particularly in in Persia and and in um, India, that sort of relate to that idea of a strong bear-like man fighting some form of powerful Mm -hmm. witch, um, that is causing a, a, a struggle in the community, and and therefore this clash happens. So, pff, you know, we could uh, we could well, be here.
1: Sure well, it could happen. <laughs> it could
0: happen.
1: Yeah, we, we, we we don't need to go to go to go too far. Like uh, in Greek mythology, we have uh, mm. Hercules, for example, yeah, a course. big man, strong, fighting a, a huge lion, for example, or oh. we Gilgamesh. We have on, on mm-hmm.
0: the, yes, of course. Like a,
1: it's a kind of let's say universal uh, yes. theme, like. <laughs> but about Beowulf, uh, I, I think that I think that it's uh, interesting that the history about the studies of Beowulf is full of nationalisms oh, since God. the beginning. It's so full of since, since the beginning, like when uh, the when Thorkland, that was the first one to to study Beowulf, uh, he was Danish and. He, since the beginning, like, oh no, Beowulf is a, is a Scandinavian, especially Danish poem, and in Germany people will say no because Beowulf actually is German, and it mm-hmm. yeah, and it, it was taken by the Scandinavian and Anglo. So, so uh, we can see that all the time they this kind of trying to let's say co-optate, Lord, trying let's try to kidnap. Beowulf yeah. to the present, <laughs> and 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 Professor fit, uh, yeah, uh, and Professor uh, uh, Dorothy Whitelock, she, in the sixties she wrote the that uh, that really really interesting book. It's the audience of Beowulf, and she said hmm. she said like like the big the the main uh, uh, the uh, the main problem with Beowulf studies is not Beowulf is. The academics, like, <laughs> because yes. uh, it's quite a simple the re- thing in itself. Yes, it? yes. Yeah.
0: Everyone <laughs> yeah. just complicates it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and she said that because uh, the, the the researchers are, are are always 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 trying to find something Beowulf that's not in Beowulf. Actually, it's something yeah. contemporary, <laughs> and the, and and people are trying. Oh no. Uh, they are trying to find this or this or the, lit- the all this lit- uh, literary construction of this historical metaphor, right. or, but actually the poem it's the poem, and yeah. that's yeah. why I, I think the, uh, the article of of Tolkien uh, uh, the uh, monster and the critics is so important mm. because he he tried to to break this tradition to say mm. okay it's a poem it's not. Uh, uh, it's not a projection of, of contemporary stuff or nationalism or etc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I really like the 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 idea of Professor John Iles. uh He uh, it's on the on his book I think the the, the title of the book is Homo uh, Homo or something like this. And he. Uh, he proposed to see Beowulf as a, a ritual discourse. Like, okay, mm-hmm. it's uh, the origin of the poem rem, uh, goes back to the pre-migrations or maybe an ancient Scandinavian, whatever. But what we have now is this poem. So, uh, and this poem obviously uh, it it comes from a uh, oral tradition and probably it's a kind of let's say a kind of frankenstein like we have mm-hmm. me- a, a lot of, of, of tales in beowulf like tales that we can connect with the volsung saga tales we can mm-hmm. connect maybe with the uh, uh, the ascension of, uh, of of the kingdom of mercia like Opha, mm-hmm. king ofa but in on that moment, something like the end of the ninth century and beginning of the 10th century, this poem uh, was composed uh, as we know it. And John Mayo said, probably we don't have an original poem, and probably we don't have the, the, the Ur poet that yeah. uh, composed all of this. It's a long tradition of construction of an identity in England, And every generation, every century was uh, uh, was constructing its own Beowulf. And unfortunately, the only Beowulf we know is this, like say, uh, Beowulf from Alfredian to Knut's time. Yeah. So probably there was a lot other other versions of Beowulf, but we don't have it. So until we, yeah, I mean, most
0: of them not even being written down, obviously. So. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so it's yeah. Carry on, sir.
1: No, no. Uh, I was just saying that. Uh, so in the end, uh, I think it's quite interesting this this, this idea of, of John I. Like uh, Beowulf is a this ritual discourse that mm. has a function that is to to be a role model and uh, obviously an entertainment for the aristocracy of Anglo-Saxon England from late Anglo-Saxon periods. Mm.
0: Oh, well, it makes sense. I mean, what you were saying earlier about the you know people from various countries trying to claim Beowulf as you know either English mm-hmm. or Danish or German. I, I don't see why people would really do that because these countries didn't exist when Beowulf was a yes. you know a story that people <laughs> told all the time. So it can be all of them at once essentially. You know, it would have spread around and and I guess you know the Anglo Saxons brought it to. What is now England when they migrated there? So it kind of makes sense that it moves around, and you can't really pinpoint exactly where it comes from. It's just a constantly changing thing, isn't it? Well, yeah.
1: yes, I, 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 I think I think a good parallel we can we can see in, in Anglo-Saxon studies is about the poem, uh, the Battle of Maldon, okay. yes. because the battle. of yeah. <laughs> because I, box I, I, number 2? <laughs> yeah, the Battle of Maldon in general and the traditional uh, academic uh, uh scenario, uh the Battle of Maldon even talking uh, uh mm. think like this, the Battle of Maldon is a great poem. Okay, it's uh it will describe uh uh the conf- uh, the, the the battle between the struggle between uh, Anglo Saxons and the Vikings, and how the Anglo Saxons were defeated by the Vikings. But uh, besides the the uh, the defeat, it's a poem that exalts the the uh, the, the bravery and the courage of the Anglo Saxons, how they defend mm. their la- their lands and etc. etc. And more recent studies sh- are showing that actually this is completely bollocks. Because
0: <laughs> the,
1: the, <Essentially>. the, <laughs> essentially, because this is actually a Victorian uh, interpretation of the Battle of Maldon. Like mm-hmm. we have okay. things like uh, key words like nation, patriotic spirit. And, uh, uh, this, actually, it's yeah. this chivaric and Victorian stuff. And actually what well, the poem is, uh, well, well, the Battle of Maldon is about what? Actually, the Battle of Maldon actually are kind of a poem describing obviously the, 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 the fight, the, the, uh, the battle between Anglo-Saxons and, and Vikings, but actually reproving, actually saying that what the Anglo-Saxons uh, did were bad, they were stupid. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it's not a, a, a poem uh, uh, a poem about the courage of the Anglo-Saxon, but about the stupidity, especially the, the stupidity of, mm. uh, of the leader of the Anglo-Saxon, Earl Birthnacht, and how that society had to cope with the stupidity of, Be- of, of, of to in trying to, to do something. So it's a completely different interpretation, like if we think what the modern England, or actually the modern world uh, think about a poem and what that poem um, the medieval times think about themselves.
0: Mm. Mm. So no. it could have potentially been like a sort of a warning or like a, yeah, a, yes, a moral tale for whatnot. Yeah, something like <laughs> this.
2: I mean, this, this whole idea of, of morality is, and I think it's it's key for both poems and if you cannot see morality written all over Beowulf then you're blind and you can't read because it's almost every single line is telling you don't be stupid don't do this don't do that and you know you have it constantly one of one of the things I had to deal with Beowulf I mean I I ended up hating Beowulf by the end of my upgrade project I will say this and I'm probably not the best you know advocate for the Beowulf cause, but mostly because of the academics. I, I would like to make that clear. Mm-hmm. You know? it's It's just impossible trying to deal with anyone else and produce any form of collaborative study without uh, you know getting into all sorts of trouble but one of the one of the things I had to research in yeah one of the things I had to research into Beowulf because I, I look at at women and the representations of women is obviously how these women are portrayed and what that must mean or may mean or where they are from and all of this stuff and there's two um, women or potentially one woman in the in the poem Modri Um, that have caused Mm -hmm. a lot of controversy because we don't know essentially if they existed or if they were modeled after real Scandinavian uh, queens or if they were actually sort of weaved into the poem to put the other queens in a good or a bad light such as welfare Mm -hmm. Um, because Mm -hmm. essentially they they come to say oh this, this Mothrid was a troublemaker and she did all of this and she didn't want to marry and then eventually she got married and then she got better. Um, that's that's generally yes. how the outline goes. So <laughs> right. you know is that is that you know some, someone in my area of specialty could say, oh, this is definitely evidence for um warrior women or troubled queens or deviant queens or something like that. When actually when you read it, it's like, well actually I think what it's saying is that you know, there is this idea of queenship, um, which Will Mm -hmm. exemplifies so well. And in, in order to create a contrast as to what makes a good queen, you need to have something that makes a bad queen. And that's the reason why then when we've had different interpretations of Beowulf, these other queens don't really come to light because they don't seem important characters or sort of support, right? But that support when you're reading the poem as a whole is important because how uh, how on earth are you going to understand this other figure if you don't have these other ones giving you little clues about you know what is proper, what isn't proper, what path you should follow, what path you shouldn't follow? And that is definitely an, an issue of of morality and a cultural identity as well to some extent. You know what is appropriate of the Anglo-Saxon court. How should a woman behave in this context? Blah 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 blah. So yes yes. It's it's very it's it's very much like that, and I think that's also the reason why it's so easy to appropriate for nationalistic purposes. Because mm. it has so many. I mean, anything that has a moralistic view has uh, a tone to tell people this is the way to be, and yeah. nationalistic movements essentially are that. This is how we are, and this is what you should be proud of, and this is how you should behave. So once you have a, a Powerful platform like that—it's just so easy to reinterpret and dish it out in whatever way you want because it's—it's all there essentially.
1: Yes, yeah, I think we can approach this—the this vision to the work of uh, Patrick Gehry, mm. uh, when he works with this, this idea of uh, civilization and uh, and barbarians like well, is the construction of the alterity how you see the other and. Yeah. And Beowulf, for example, it, actually Beowulf—it's it, uh, like the the main point of Beowulf—it's this construct, uh, this uh, contrasts like wealthio and murder uh, mm. Beowulf and Grendel, order versus yes. chaos. It's all—it's all the time we we—it's uh, a kind of shadow and light, let's say, mm. uh, in Beowulf. So, for example, uh, uh, in Beowulf. The hero, Beowulf, is uh, he described uh, as a, a warrior that have the strength of 30 men. And Grendel, when, his, uh, on, uh, when he did his, uh, his first attack, he described that he took 30 warriors uh, to, to, to eat. And so, like, Beowulf is the nemesis, or Grendel is the nemesis of Beowulf. And in the end, one day we have the dragon. The dragon uh, again is the is this kind of contrast. Like the dragon represents evil, represents uh, chaos. And what is the first thing that the dragon attacks and destroys? The whole of Beowulf, and mm-hmm. the whole represents uh, order, represents polit- political order, political uh, harmony, and the dragon. And actually. I think it's well. It's as uh, uh, interesting to always reinforce this. The dragon Beowulf, uh, it's not, uh, let's say, a Norse dragon. It's a Christian no. dragon uh, because he flies, mm-hmm. and people say, "Well, yeah. but yeah. Well, what about what about a, a winged dragon to be Christian?" Because the let's say Germanic slash Nordic dragon is a snake snake with legs, yeah. actually.
2: Big, big mm. <laughs>
1: uh, Yeah, exactly. And worm. the Christian are uh, warm. And the Christian okay. dragon is Satan, is Lucifer. Uh, right. And he, he has wings and he has uh, fire breath. And the dragon bewulf is this. It's a Christian dragon destroying order, that's trying the kingdom. So, yes, uh, I, I totally agree with uh, what Lily said, that Beowulf is a—it's uh, a, 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 this always uh, uh, playing with the contrast of the stuff to show. Oh, this is right, and this is bad. This is good. This is not. And it's because of this. I think it's quite easy for nationalistic discourses to to kidnap these narratives to say, see, like our ancestors, we are here and this and this and this. Yeah, but uh, as I say, it's completely bollocks. Like,
2: <laughs> yeah, mm. it's it's not it's not how it is, and I think that's also the reason why it's been quite popular, sort of in other forms of fiction, particularly films and things like that. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know how you feel on that front. Obviously, I've had to look into this a fair bit, but it's it's interesting how Beowulf has just become, yeah, that sort of archetypal idea of big hero defeats big monster and that's that's yes. essentially how all all of the films and, and series go And um, apart mm-hmm. from i find the um the beowulf and grendel which is essentially sort of like a, a medieval noir crime investigation <laughs> which is oh yes
0: <laughs> <which> is <laughs> yes
2: kind of kind of cool though <laughs> because it it brings back that sort of human element that i think sometimes we're missing in a story like beowulf you know this there was yes. a guy, and and the hero journey is wonderful, but how must have he felt and the decisions he had to make to get to you know where he was? Because I mean the poem is essentially a very long epitaph. It's it's a cry mm-hmm. for how Beowulf was so great and now he's dead. So, what yes. makes this guy so good? And that's that's an aspect of the film that I actually really like. That they kind of bring obviously Jared Butler, which makes it all you know much more epic and whatnot, but it mm-hmm. it kind of makes you feel for Beowulf because it shows how all of these heroic moments have a really deep impact into kinship and politics and, and just the human element of it all, which I think it is in the poem, sort of maybe not as explicit as they make it in the film, but that's also why, when you know, you know, you said the whole propaganda about Alfredian court and how things work that way. I think it's very interesting, particularly if mm-hmm. we compare it to the Battle of Maldon poem, because uh, there are all of those hints about how you know how to deal with these situations as an ordinary human being, not just as a king. But you know how how do you deal with this and how you take this path is just as important as coming out victorious on the other end. Yes. So it's it's very interesting, and there is there are articles that are written about the sort of the psychology of Beowulf, particularly and and the the cycle of Beowulf, which are quite mesmerizing. And I haven't really. Manage to wrap my head around them because they just go into far too many layers for me. But it's it's very interesting. So I was wondering, that sort of human element, do you think is very important in this whole idea of propaganda that you are sort of pursuing in your new postgrad, or is that a bit more on the sides?
1: Uh, I think it's it's uh, really really important. Uh, I think uh, well, I I think first of all uh, we have to think like. Taking back uh, uh, to the film, the Beowulf and Grendel, mm. it's quite interesting to see that uh, as uh, that Portuguese writer uh, José Saramago, yeah. uh, there was an interview when uh, on he said that people usually think that life is a kind of light and darkness, and actually we have a a, a lot of gray stuff in the middle of this. Mm. I think Beowulf is something like this, like obviously. It's a poem trying to show this light and darkness side, but yes, I think in the middle there is this gray uh, area. The uh, in this gray area, it's where wa- where we can find this elaborations, constructions, political constructions, moralities, mm. and etc. So yes, I think. And this point, the humanity of of this kind of of literary. Uh, work is important. Like, uh, as an example, I remember when I was in in Winchester, there was this seminar. I don't remember uh, when. I think it was uh, Janet Nelson was in Southampton. I, I, I don't remember actually. And they were talking about. She was talking about King Athelstan. And why King Athelstan? Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, and why King Athelstan was this big guy, this great guy, this uh, fantastic king, and why King Alfred uh, liked it so much King uh, King Arthurston liked like to create this whole myth about about uh, King Arthurstan, like uh, King Alfred, almost saying that uh, you are going to be my my hair and something like this. And mm, I remember yeah. when I we, when I uh, when I left the the seminar, I was uh, w- I do I remember it was me and Courtney, and uh, and then we were we were talking about this. And, and I said this like, maybe people are forgetting that King Alfred and Athelstan was a relationship between a grandfather and a a, a, a grandson, so obviously mm. King Alfred would be so. Uh, Fascinated by uh, Atherston in trying to create this uh, idea of uh, King Arthurson because it was like a grandfather with his first grandson, and yeah. I, I, re- I remember like people forget that this all these people that we are talking about in history they are human beings. Yes. So <laughs> so, <laughs> so yes. Well, when we and then when when we think about Beowulf, oh, but uh, this. Wherever this guy or bunch of people that create the the, the, the story about a uh, huge warrior fighting monsters, they are trying to to send a message or political message or maybe propaganda or something. Of course, yes, because they were human beings too. So uh, it's mm. a human. It's a human production. So yeah, uh, like uh, uh, I'm saying that the uh, wolf is not. Uh, a uh, heroic poem? No, I'm not saying that. This Beowulf is a heroic poem and a uh, really interesting poem. If you if you like like main, uh, mainly if you like dungeons uh, uh, and dragons and we we have this uh, we have a, a cave <laughs> yeah. and we have a dragon and it's a uh, very cool stuff. But at the same time, it's uh, we can think uh, as a propaganda or something like because the same, let's say. The same way uh, on that, and and nowadays we have these narratives being used as uh, nationalistic purposes or political purposes. On the middle ages was the same. I think it's an article of uh, I think it's David. I don't remember. I'm really sorry, but it's Daniel David uh, Reese. He has a really interesting article about this, like nationalistic or idea of nation in the Middle Ages, yeah. and how we can, can talk about this, like ideas that are are used to create this feeling of identity, and actually it's almost the same stuff we have nowadays, so Beowulf could mm-hmm. be used like this, or the Battle of Maldon, or other poem but like it uh, of this bunch of a list of names and kings, like why they are describing these kingdoms and kings and people, because they, there is an a, a identity purpose uh, behind all of this.
2: Yeah, it's. I think that's really sort of the, I think that's the most interesting part of Beowulf, if
1: hmm. if I'm allowed.
2: <laughs> to, like yes. a lot of people think it's, oh, you know, it's this, is the is the journey? Is the monsters? Is the you know sort of struggle? But I I I I'll, I I always struggle reading Beowulf. I'll, I'll be I'll be frank. It's it's not an easy read. It's no. it can be very repetitive. You can get confused a lot. And you know, coming from someone who has read a lot of weird stuff, and if you read any of the Scandinavian sagas, you're gonna be trying to remember. Who the hell was someone's grandfather yes. or grandmother? You know, three hundred <laughs> years prior. It's it's yeah. you know it's it's very Game of Thrones. It's very you know Tolkien. It's very Silmarillion. It's it's essentially that.
0: Yeah. But yeah.
2: but even for someone who has tried, it's it is hard because the the poem lapses timelines as well. Sometimes you're like, am I talking about Beowulf now? Beowulf ten years ago? Beowulf in the future? I'm not really sure because obviously it all happens in stages, and it's. It's very easy to sort of lose interest after a while. Right. <laughs> um, but <laughs> when you actually sort of get past that and, and push you know, pa- behind all of this, you actually realize this, th- the story that they're telling you is really about you know, who these people are and who these people are trying to be. And Exactly. Once you grasp this concept, it doesn't really matter that their names are X, Y, Z, or they came from here or there, because it all becomes very clear that, you know, it's, it's almost a very long statement to legitimize who they are and what they're doing and what they're fighting for. And as long as you understand that, it all kind of makes sense. And you can see that Beowulf could have perhaps not even been a person, but the idea mm-hmm. that these rulers are trying to promote um, about themselves, or perhaps the the wishful thinking that they have for themselves, their country, and and their courtiers. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, you know, that's kind of, I think, the the overarching theme in there. Um, I've also become really conscious of the time, and I've realized that we're probably starting to run over, so we need to wrap things up, as usual. But um, on on a few (laughs) final thoughts, um, Elton, um, what are, just sort of on a a more generic thing, and, and going back to what you're doing at the moment, what are your hopes for for this field in in Brazil, particularly? And what do you think the Brazilian um, community of academics can bring to the field of Anglo-Saxon studies and Beowulf that perhaps is missing? Or, you know, what do you think is the new take?
1: Uh, I, well, uh, I, first of all, I'm quite happy of this, uh, about this group, uh, I, I said before, because uh, at the beginning I was just me. I was just the crazy guy about oh. Anglo-Saxon stuff in Brazil, <laughs> <laughs> and now yeah. we have we, we have a, a, a group that's growing, so it's good, and I think that's uh, really interesting because and it's and it could be really let's say health healthy because mm. we are we are not let's say we are not british so yeah. we are look uh, we are uh, uh, doing a research or taking a vision outside the let's say british society so for example i let's say maybe someone from outside would have uh, would we would be much more Let's say it would be easier for someone from outside to deconstruct, or let's say the 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 uh, the term that it's, uh, uh, now nowadays people use, and that decolonize some some stuff yes. <laughs> from from outside. Because, for example, this idea about uh, the battle of Maldon, uh, I think uh, yeah, uh, until now we we have on the on the uh, academic environment. People saying that no, about the Battle of Maldon is uh, is about glory and bravery of the Anglo Saxons defending the the country, etc. But maybe someone, some uh, someone from outside the uh, the UK or the, I would say some someone outside even the anglophone uh, yeah, world yeah. would take another look to the same stuff. So yes, like I yeah, think definitely. it's. It's quite interesting to see people from outside of, let's say, the native land of these uh, primary mm-hmm. sources taking a different look to this kind of stuff. Because I think it would it's, it's quite good to 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 change some stuff to let like, to yeah. deconstruct this kind of of us like, say traditions that maybe are not so uh, they are not talking actually about. The, the source, but they are talking about, I don't know, Victorian heritage that, yeah, uh, become.
0: so yeah, no, it makes sense, yeah, to get just more perspectives from, yes, like, all sorts of different people, different backgrounds, yeah.
2: Well, yeah. In, a, in a sort of loophole, and, and it often happens when we have these conversations, you know, it's a bit difficult understanding concepts of propaganda, nationalism, and identity when you are. Of that nationalism, identity, and, mm-hmm. and social context—you know—as much as you may not buy into those ideas, it's 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 really my field of expertise. It's it the can whole be quite idea. Subtle, of, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's the whole idea of cultural identity and cultural citizenship. You know, right. um, you may be British-born, British-raised, and Beowulf is your you know breakfast of every day. And do you think that makes you British and therefore Beowulf is a British product? But someone yeah. like me from a foreign country or Elton may have mm-hmm. an affiliation to that culture and and this is where the word citizenship becomes useful because then you are subscribing to those ideas but without the mm-hmm. personal um genetical attachment to that land yes. and therefore you can kind of detach some of your bias and say actually you know this is this is where the where the bias comes in and this is where you need to sort of take it out and, and revise it through a different lens because sometimes you know sometimes this happens and i think it's 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 just one of those things in history we cannot forego our identity we cannot forego our past and our heritage and it's part of us but sometimes mm. that hinders us to understand properly what uh, things are about and let's say just- that. Uh,
1: uh-uh. Uh, I, I think we we can do uh, 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 like a metaphor, like it's like uh, uh, it's like playing chess. It's obviously mm. like uh, you can see the uh, the game when you are a player, but you can't see when you are a piece on the board. Yep. <laughs> right. So
2: yep, that's hundred percent. Yeah, you can you you can be the puppet master, but you know the, close. the pawns. Yeah, the pawns close are not the gonna picture. be.
0: Yeah, um, just need to zoom out a bit.
2: Yeah, literally, Google
0: Maps.
2: (laughs) 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 Excellent. Well, on that note, I think um, that's all we have time for today. Um, Thank you very much, Elton, for joining us at at this unholy hour of the day, which is in Brazil. Uh, (laughs) The day is just starting over there, I'm sure. (laughs) 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 And um, you know, thank you so much for that. Um, Best of luck with the postdoc and all the good wishes to the community out there in Brazil, not just the Anglo-Saxon community, the um, Viking studies community as well, that I'm part of, you know, it's very big in Brazil over there. So any, I, I really, really want to tell all historians that are listening to this right now, um, there is some very good people doing some very good stuff in Brazil. Go talk to them because they're wonderful. So there you go. And the
1: Vikings are <laughs> spreading. Even and farther. the Vikings, yes. yes. <laughs> uh, exactly.
2: As, as early medievalists will conquer the world, even where there is no uh, medieval history. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, guys. And that's the end of today. See you on the next one. Okay. Time.
0: Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.